listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome into the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joined with me remotely is Zishan. Yo. Alright, man. So, with the 2021 season coming to a conclusion... Time flies. Uh, it, yeah, dude. Time has flown, man. But also, this has been a shortened season. I mean, literally... We had the season start in late December, and it's just been a crazy, crazy season overall. But we finally made it to the end, especially for us Raptor fans, man. Thank God it's the end of the season. Um, finally. But, yeah, finally. But we're at the point in time where it's time that we can, we can now look back at the year and truly lock in our awards predictions for this season. Now, again, because of COVID and injuries... You know, there have been some players in and out of lineup, some players who got who were out with injury longer than others, but also it gave opportunities to other players to step up and, you know, be able to showcase themselves in ways that they probably wouldn't have if not given the opportunity. So, obviously, I think we have done our predictions in the past for the awards. I think we did one earlier in the season, I think, is when we did our, our first predictions, but obviously, clearly... With all our predictions, it's all wrong. Yeah, bro. This this year especially, like, I know we've gotten some of our predictions wrong in the past. Especially when we do the team predictions, um, which stay tuned for that after the season. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a fun one for sure. Uh, but rounds. usually the awards ones aren't as bad. But again, like you said, man, this year was just a season from hell. I think for every team, everyone involved, honestly, like the whole NBA, honestly, all sport. Not all sports, okay? Like, the whole world, right? So, yeah. I mean, for the NBA especially, this was just a season from hell. And as a result, you have messed up predictions all over the place. That's not just us, to be fair. Um, it was everyone else who messed up all of their predictions, too. So, hey, like, we know our basketball. It's just, you know, it's tough to predict stuff, especially when this kind of stuff happens. Yeah. So, we wanted to jump in and kind of give our predictions, our runner-ups for every award, and obviously give you guys who we are going to put, we are predicting to win the award for this season based on what we've seen. Obviously, this is heavily based on what we think and what we see as, as uh, hoop heads, but obviously, again, it, it could be different, it could be the same, we really don't really know. But let's jump right into the first award that we have, and we're going to start off with the Rookie of the Year Award, just because I think it's pretty cut and dry who... Who's kind of in the running. Now, obviously, our predictions for the award, you know, our three candidates for the predictions were LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, and Patrick Williams. Uh, and it has, our predictions have changed. First player we want to talk about who is in our runner-up position is LaMelo Ball. Uh, LaMelo Ball has averaged 16 points, 5.8 rebounds, 6 assists per game, shooting 44.7% from the field and 36% from three. And he's honestly had a very impressive rookie season. You know, he really has turned heads and, be, and be, was able to showcase his ability to be a playmaker, to be a showtime type of player. Really brought a lot of buzz and attention to the Charlotte Hornets. But I think the biggest element to what LaMelo Ball was able to bring this season was that he brought that winning mentality. He was able to, you know, bring a team in the Hornets who was kind of middling in the, you know, you know they could make it to the playoffs and I actually got him into the in the in the right now in the eighth seed, but they could they're in the play-in right now with a chance to compete for a playoff spot. So Lamella Ball has definitely made an impact on that on that team on that franchise, and he just had a an overall very great season, man. 
Uh, honestly, the only thing that could have derailed him this year was his injury where he missed some time and some other rookies might have uh, started to play better. But, you know, it's it's definitely something that, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, LaMelo Ball is has had a great season, man. Uh, better than what I thought he was going to be pers- on a personal level. But, yeah, he's he's been fantastic this season. Yeah, man, LaMelo Ball has been crazy. Another guy who we have in the running for the Rookie of the Year award is Tyrese Halliburton. Um, he averaged 13 points a game, 5.3 assists, shooting 47.2% from the field and 40.9% from three. Now, Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that many people did not expect to drop that much in the draft. Um, I think especially you, you were one of the people that even said, like, yo, how, how this guy dropped that much in the draft. But Tyrese Halliburton's arguably being the best rookie um, from start to finish. Um, you know, his consistency and just his overall IQ um, in the NBA has been second to none in, in terms of his rookie class, which is why he's been so special for a Sacramento Kings franchise that has needed, you know, some sort of excitement in the franchise. Um, moving forward, he's going to form a great backcourt partner for De'Aaron Fox. Um, he's pretty much pushed Buddy Heald out of the way. <laughs> Um, and you know, so Buddy Hill is probably going to be gone pretty soon, but Tyrese Halliburton himself has been amazing. The only thing that I think derailed his rookie of the year campaign a bit was similar to LaMelo Ball. He missed some time and, you know, just the other two guys that we named or, or, you know, one guy that we named and the other guy that we're about to name have had, I guess, more quote unquote exciting seasons. So I think for that reason, I don't think he's going to win it, but Tyrese Halliburton definitely has a stake in the Rookie of the Year conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think, again, you. I think what we really looked at in Tyrese Halliburton was his poise and his demeanor, being able to come into the NBA and not really look like a rookie. He really came in and just was making plays like, you know, you'd expect a veteran in the NBA to make. And that was a big sticking point as to, you know, the confusion as to how he dropped in the draft, just because... A lot of teams are looking for that, especially in their scouting. So Tyrese Halliburton's had a fantastic season. And finally, the last candidate we have for the Rookie of the Year award is, of course, the number one pick himself, Anthony Edwards. He's had a very good season. He's averaging about 18.9 points per game, shooting about 41.4% from the field, about 32.6% from three. Uh, obviously, he's played the most amount of games if in terms of rookies that we've mentioned in, in other candidates. Um, and, you know, he had a slow start to the season. And that's something that I particularly called that he wasn't going to be like like a right away player. He's going to take some time to grow and develop. But I think you're seeing, especially under Chris Finch, that he's taking that next step. He's not only established himself as a scorer, he can get to the rim at will, but he's expanded his range out to the three-point line. You know, he's able to take the ball off the dribble. Uh, and then defensively as well, he has the tools, he has the physicality, which... I personally was thought that it was the perfect combination for him to be a player in today's NBA, made him very NBA ready, and was kind of my justification for him being the number one overall pick over a guy like LaMelo Ball. Just because he has the build, he's got the scoring ability, he's got the defensive tools, all that paired together. And you're seeing that how well it played out for Minnesota. And not to mention, the biggest thing, he fits what Minnesota needed at the time. They didn't need another point guard. Uh, they needed a, a you know a, a wing or a guard a, like a two guard type of player who can come in and get buckets for them. And Anthony Edwards has had a fantastic year. 
Yeah, man, Anthony Edwards has been really good for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, which is why he's thrust himself into that Rookie of the Year conversation after, as you pointed out, initially not being in that conversation because of a slow start. Now, the main the main turning point for him was when the Minnesota Timberwolves brought on Chris Finch. And you saw what him and Carla Anthony Towns have been able to do under Chris Finch in terms of both of them being more comfortable in the roles that they're operating in now rather than you know the kind of the, the roles they were working with under ryan saunders anthony edwards himself has gotten more pick and rolls um you know being able to have more space to operate just more more room to make mistakes um and more room to play the type of game that he wants to in terms of a downhill um attack the paint kind of game and then you know take those threes so he's being able to take that next step under chris finch which is primarily the reason why he's inserted himself into the Rookie of the Year conversation. And that brings us to our Rookie of the Year pick. And we're going to go with Anthony Edwards simply yeah. because of the fact that, as we mentioned with LaMelo Ball, I think LaMelo Ball really had the Rookie of the Year um, award wrapped up. But the problem was with his you know, broken hand or whatever it was, um, that gave room to Anthony Edwards to be able to get that Rookie of the Year award. And as I said, I'll I'll say this again with another award down the line, but, you know, the best ability is availability, right? And I prioritize availability as one of my biggest, uh, you know, points of, well, you know, strengths for a player. And Anthony Edwards has had that availability over guys like Lenovo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton, which is arguably the primary reason why we're giving it him yeah i think again i have a personal bias because i thought anthony i was one of the best players coming out of coming out of this draft class and i feel a little validated at this point now with him putting up the numbers that he's putting up with him establishing the role that he's been able to carve up especially under chris finch it just makes a ton of sense now that's not derailing what Lamelo ball has done this season he's obviously had a great year but for me personally i think in the long run i think anthony edwards is going to be a much better overall NBA player than Alamelo Ball, who's again is good, but I just I don't know where his game is gonna go from here. At least I know Anthony Edwards. I can see the trajectory for him, but uh, yeah, he definitely Anthony Edwards has definitely deserves the Rookie of the Year award this year. Um, which and our prediction actually for the Rookie of the Year award actually was gonna go to James Wiseman. Kind of took an L on that, but James Wiseman was also having a great year, but the uh, the MCL injury definitely um, took him out of the race. Well, honestly. I mean, I don't know about a great year. He's kind of he he was kind of in Steve Kerr's doghouse for a bit, but um, yeah, we definitely took an L with the James Wiseman prediction, and uh, you know, rookies are hard to predict, right? So I mean, yeah. we're seeing now that our our rookie of the year is Anthony Edwards. We took an L on our pick. I mean, our yeah. prediction, you know. So yeah. So, moving on into the next award, we have the Coach of the Year Award. And holy crap, I have to eat a lot of shit on this award. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we so both do, but you you, you were more of a hater than I was. Bro. I don't think I was a hater, and I'll, and I'll explain. But basically, in our predictions, we predicted that our, our candidates were going to be Frank Vogel, Brad Stevens, Mike Malone, and Terry Stotts. Uh, obviously, this year, our first candidate is Tom Thibodeau of the New York Knicks. And a lot of you will know that I've had a very love-hate relationship with the New York Knicks, to say the least. Uh, mainly because I just had a problem with how that franchise has run and what they stood for over the last few years. 
But I'm not going to deny Tom Thibodeau has done a pretty great good job. He's led the Knicks to the fourth the fourth seed and their first winning season in 2012, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he's been able to bring a strong presence, which we knew he was going to bring to the Knicks bench. I think that was something that was lacking. You know, a strong authoritative figure on the Knicks bench, and Tom Thibodeau, d- despite his flaws in in other areas, he is a strong presence on the bench, and you and players are going to want to respect him. Especially even in organizationally, uh, you know, a front office isn't going to be able to push Tom Thibodeau around because of his cachet in the league. So he's been able to bring that to the Knicks. He's also been able to bring out the defensive abilities of the Knicks. And that's, again, Tom Thibodeau especially. He's a defensive type of coach. He brought the Knicks up to be the third best defensive team in the league. And he was able to bring out the best in guys like Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, other young players like Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, you know, even like guys like Derrick Rose came in and started playing well under them. So, again, Tom Thibodeau was able to do that with the Knicks team, got them to the fourth seed. Uh, they have the 21st-ranked offense, which I don't think is great, but they have the third-best defense in the league. And overall, the Knicks have just been a pretty good team this year. Like They're a lot more of a competent team this year than they ever were in previous seasons. And, um, yeah, you got to give Thibodeau some cre- credit on that on that side of things. But I will say this. Oh, my Tom, God. <laughs> listen. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau, again, he's doing what he does best. You know, he has the third best defense, but the 21st ranked offense. How well is this going to do in the playoffs? I don't know. And I need to see this for another year to really crown Tom Thibodeau as the right hire for the New York Knicks. You know, I was critical of the hire because of the fact that Tibbs has only established himself as being one type of coach. He wasn't really adapting to the way things were heading Again, it's kind of playing out in that sort of narrative, but we got to wait and see on that one. But again, I'll give him his props. This year, he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, man. Um, listen, bro. I mean, I was I was critical of the hire as well, right? I'm not going to front it. Like, I wasn't critical of the hire either. I was definitely critical of the hire. But, you know, to your point, Tom Thibodeau has been great as the New York Knicks head coach, especially given the fact that you look at their history and the type of coaches and just the type of culture that they've had. Which is why, you know, we we didn't know much about, uh, you know, for example, how Leon Rose would do, um, how World Wide West would do. But the direction you can definitely see is actually on a, like, you know, on a competent trajectory for the New York Knicks as opposed to what they were before. And you're seeing in the New York Knicks this season where they have a top seed in the Eastern Conference. And not only that, they, it's not like they've been, you know, average. They've been a pretty good team. You know, they earlier went on that eight-game winning streak. They've won. They were like, you know, 10 out of their last 12. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers recently. And Tom Thibodeau is a big reason why. You know, we look at the roster and we projected them before the season to be a, like, bottom five team just because we didn't think the roster was that great. For Tom Thibodeau to be able to get the, the amount of production that he has out of this collection of players... You have to give him a lot of props for that. So Tom Thibodeau has had a great season um, and is definitely in the running for the Coach of the Year Award. The next guy we're going to talk about is Quinn Snyder. Now, Quinn Snyder has led his Utah Jazz to the best record in the NBA. He has He's led his team to a second rank in offensive rating and the third best defensive rating in the league. And... Quinn Snyder has always been one of the better coaches in the league, but I think this season, just another year of that Utah Jazz chemistry, just another year of him being able to, you know, work within his own playbook, 
it's really helped him and helped the Utah Jazz. You know, he's opened up his playbook as well, um, allowing his players to take massive, massive jumps. For example, you know, a guy like Rudy Gobert, who's playing by far the best basketball of his career. Jordan Clarkson is playing the best basketball of his career. Mike Conley has been great for the Utah Jazz. And Joe Ingles is playing the best basketball of his career as well. So, Quinn Snyder, you know, we, we knew, like, that he was already a very good coach. But the season that the Utah Jazz have had in terms of being top five in both offensive and defensive rating, and we know if you're top five or even top ten in both offensive and defensive rating, um, the history says you have a great chance to win a championship. Now, again, the Utah Jazz, the question for them will be, you know, if their talent can match up to the other teams and other teams' talent level. But the Utah Jazz are definitely a feel-good story in the NBA this season. Um, And especially it's very good for for me and Hani, I think, because of the fact that, you know, we've been so critical of the uh in the past of, you know, the big market teams being able to get everyone and, you know, the small market teams being pretty much minimized in the NBA. And for the Utah Jazz to be able to build organically as a small market team, similar to I think the Raptors of a couple years ago, to be able to take that next step into one of the top tier teams in the NBA and take that championship contending status has been great. Uh, for the NBA, for the fans, and especially for a guy like Quinn Snyder, who is definitely in the uh, in the Coach of the Year um, award running. Yeah, I think Quinn Snyder has done a fantastic job. We always knew he was a great coach, but I think, like you said, the chemistry, being able to you know bring back a lot of the pieces uh, from last year's team, uh, build that chemistry, continue building, cultivating the system, uh, getting everyone familiar with it, has really just helped, you know, help the situation out in Utah, especially considering the uncertainties that COVID has created. Uh, just having that continuity, everyone knowing what what they have, to, what roles they have to play, is so vital and so crucial to win to win basketball games, especially in the postseason when everybody knows what they got to do. You didn't even bring up a player in Donovan Mitchell who has had a, who has still been fantastic in his own right before he got hurt, and the Jazz are still winning despite losing one of their best players. Still winning, still putting up, putting up great wins, and again, second offensively, third defensively. What was the biggest criticism about the Utah Jazz? They they were bad off, they were bad offensively. They were never, they were always a great defensive team because of Rudy Gobert and having that defensive anchor that they had. The problem was was their offense. They were they were never able to really get a guy to truly, you know, to get an offense that can be top five or even contending status. So now that they have that, you can see just how dangerous they actually are. And Quinn Snyder has done a great job just being able to put guys in the in the best position to succeed. And that's why you see a lot of guys are having career years this season because of the fact that the team is playing well and everyone is in the right roles and doing the right things. So, yeah, shout out Quinn Snyder. He's been doing a fa- did a fantastic job this season. And our final candidate for the Coach of the Year award is Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. Now, Monty Williams has led the Phoenix Suns to the second best uh, record in the Western Conference and he really built upon the success that they had in the bubble last year going 8-0 almost making it to the playoffs and you know he's just done a fantastic job just cultivating a culture there especially with getting bringing in a guy like Chris Paul an ultimate winner an ultimate leader uh, on the floor uh he's Chris Paul transformed this franchise as he's done in multiple franchises that he's been on uh, and really has just been able to take that leadership role, been the closer for the Phoenix Suns, been allowing Devin Booker to do what he does best, uh, being able to score the basketball. Then not to mention the development of the younger players, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton. These guys have all been able to develop 
Uh, even a, even guys like Cameron Payne, you know, Javon Carter have all been doing very well for the Phoenix Suns this year. And a lot of that has to do with Monty Williams, you know, allowing these guys to give, giving them the, that opportunity to, uh, to go out there and, and you know, do what they got, they got to do while also uh, following the leadership of Chris Paul. You know, the Suns were able to put up the seventh best offense in the league and the sixth best defense in the league as well. So the top 10 in both categories, and as Ishan just said it for Quinn Snyder, that if a team is top five, even top 10 in both offensive and defensive ratings, it's pretty likely that they're going to either be a, a deep playoff team or a potential contender. Now, again, a similar situation to Utah, will Phoenix have the talent level to compete in the, in the, in the upper echelons in the West? That's yet to be seen, but this season, they've done a fantastic job, and Monty Williams has done a great, great job. Yeah, we even said going back to last season that Monty Williams was a great hire for the Phoenix Suns, especially considering, you know, where their organization was at the time. So I got to give credit um, to James Jones as well, because he's built this team from a team that was, you know, pretty much terrible um, all around. And to build this team, yeah, to build this team into what it is now organizationally, while having to work under a guy like Robert Sarver, you know, major, major credit to a guy like James Jones. But speaking of Monty Williams, yeah, as you said, they're pretty much top 10 in both ratings. Um, and he's just been able to develop that team even further. He's known as one of the best, you know, locker room guys in the NBA. And you're seeing that with the Phoenix Suns this season, their chemistry is great. Uh, everything about them is great. You know, they have a leader in Chris Paul. They have a go-to guy like Devin Booker. So when you're talking about the Phoenix Suns, they are one of the deepest teams and one of the most well-rounded teams in the NBA. And that has a lot to do with a guy like Monty Williams. And so that brings us to our Coach of the Year award winner. And we're going to go with Quinn Snyder. Now, again, everyone on this list is really deserving uh, of a Coach of the Year award. However, just because of the fact that, you know, Quinn Snyder is a guy that, A, I think, for voters, he hasn't been in that conversation before. And, for, and and B, you know, he's led his team to the best record in the NBA, especially when a lot of people didn't think the Utah Jazz would even, you know, some people didn't even have them being a top four seed in the Western Conference. So for him to be able to lead his team to the success that they've had in terms of being both top five in both offensive and defensive rating and just having the um, massive amount of success that they've had, um, we're going to have to give our Coach of the Year award to Quinn Snyder. Yeah, I think he's it's well-deserved. I mean, he's led the team to the best record. He's, you know, great in both both statistic, offense and defensive categories. The team around him has just done so well that it's just very hard to ignore uh, what, what he's been able to do. So Quinn Snyder definitely deserves the award. Uh, just to let you guys know, our prediction for the award was actually to give the award to Brad Stevens. Although it was a very difficult award to predict, yeah. to be honest with you, for us, because we weren't really sure who was going to be a clear-cut coach of the year, and obviously the Celtics haven't had a great great season by their standards. So uh, shout-out Quinn Snyder, definitely deserving of the Coach of the Year award. Yeah, that moves us on to our Sixth Man of the Year award. Now, this award, we I think we might have gotten this award right, our prediction. Um, again, it wasn't. I think it was one of the easier awards to predict. But I think we actually got this one right. So our preseason predictions for the Sixth Man of the Year award were Jordan Clarkson, Montrez Harrell, and Bogdan Bogdanovich to be, you know, the three candidates for the award. And we had Jordan Clarkson winning the award. So, you know, spoiler alert, I think we might be good on that one. 
Um, starting off with Jordan Clarkson, uh, he's averaging right now 18 points a game, shooting 42% from the field and shooting 34.3% from three. Um, Jordan Clarkson is the highest bench scorer in the league, and that's pretty much his role, right? We've seen in the past that six man of the year award winners are usually those bench gunners, right? J.R. Smith, Jamal Crawford, Lou Will. So Jordan Clarkson has a pretty good chance, I think, of winning this award as arguably the top bench scorer in the league. And Jordan Clarkson has just built off of the success that he had last year, which is why we had we predicted him um, to win the award. Now, you know, guys like Montrez and Lou have already won the award. So, you know, voter fatigue does play a part into it, which is why we said, again, Jordan Clarkson would win the award. And, you know, Jordan Clarkson has come into this season pretty much doing what he did in the bubble last season and just expanding off of that. He's found his niche in the NBA. I think, you know, he struggled for a while there in LA and then in Cleveland, just trying to find what he was in the NBA. And now in Utah, he solidified himself as, you know, a bench gunner, a, a you know, just a shot creator off the bench in Utah. Now, yeah. again, a big portion of that has to do with his development, his three-point shot, um, which has cooled down a bit. But, you know, his his three-point shot is the main thing that's been able to find him success in the league. And now he can stay on the floor and, you know, shoot and score from all three levels, which is why, you know, he's been great for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, no, he's been fantastic for the Utah Jazz, man. Like, he's been better than I would have thought he would have been. Like, you know, when you wouldn't have thought much of it when Utah actually traded for Jordan Clarkson a couple of seasons ago. Or they traded him, was it, like, nothing for him, pretty much. Yeah, they traded nothing. What, what was it, last year's trade deadline, I think, is what he, what he moved, or the year before? Something. Uh, something like that. But again, he was traded for, like, what, Dante Exum and maybe, like, a, maybe like a pick or something. It was really nothing when you think about it. And, like, just look at how much, how much imp- impact he's been brought to the Utah Jazz, man. Just someone who can score off the bench. And that's something Utah hasn't really had. You know, Utah never really had a guy who can come off the bench and just drop buckets for you. And Jordan Clarkson has come in. He's immediately been a great fit for them, and you know really has established his role with this with this organization. And uh, shout out to Jordan Clarkson; done a, done a fantastic job this season. And speaking of an, another one, another Utah Jazz member, his teammate Joe Ingles, we want to talk about as another candidate for the Sixth Man of the Year award. Uh, Joe Ingles has been averaging about twelve points a game, three point seven rebounds, four point seven assists, shooting forty nine point eight percent from the field, and wait for it, forty five point six percent from three. And man, he's been a solid piece for the Utah Jazz, and he's allowing. He's been a very key factor, allowing him to be th- so great this season. Uh, not only has his shooting just definitely been such a great help for them, spacing the floor for guys like Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, and obviously Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but at the same time, you know he it, he does have his playmaking ability. He does have his kind of veteran savvy that he brings to the team, and he you know he's already established how valuable he is to Utah, and I think. Him coming off the bench along with a guy like Jordan Clarkson just shows how much depth this Utah team actually has, and you know he's been like he's been fantastic, man. Joe Ingles and you know Jingles have been you know he's been one of those like under the radar type of players for a long time, and I think you know it's it's kind of cool that he gets some recognition at this point. Yeah, man, Jingles being great for the Utah Jazz. Um, as we know, like every contending team needs a jack of all trades kind of player. And that is exactly what Joe Ingles is. He can do everything for you um, in terms of shooting the ball. He's had his best shooting season of his career, shooting pretty much 46% from three, which is insane. 
Um, and then add on the fact that he is one of their primary ball handlers and facilitators for a you know smooth running engine like the Utah Jazz have. So he's been great for them on that end. And, and as we know, he you know he doesn't seem like the best defender, but he has great defensive qualities. He's one of those you know pesky, annoying guys. Um, as we remember a couple years ago in the playoffs, how he irritated a guy like Paul George and got him off his game. You know, so Jingles is just one of those veteran savvy jack of all trades kinds of guys that you need um if you want to be a contending team and also let me just throw in there that you know some people might think it's cheating for us to put you know two jazz players but to be honest if you watch it if you've watched the utah jazz both jordan clarkson and joe ingles have kind of functioned as that sixth man for the utah jazz and going back to last last season when lou will and montrez harrell were you know six man of the year candidates um, you know, the NBA, I guess, doesn't really care about having one player per team. So we're going to have two players for the Utah Jazz, and they deserve it as the best team in the Western Conference. Moving on to our final candidate for the Sixth Man of the Year um, award, repping our home. Uh, shout out Chris Boucher. Shout out Montreal. He's been averaging 13.6 points a game, 6.7 rebounds, shooting 51.9% from the field, 38.9% from three, and averaging 1.9 blocks. Um, as a top five player in the blocks category. Pretty much for Chris Boucher, he went from a bench warmer last year to one of the best role players in the league, right? If you remember, he, he wasn't even playing a lot last year. And for him to show the improvement that he did coming into this season, um, you know, the Raptors signed him to a pretty solid contract, a two-year contract. And the expectation was that, you know, he could function as a nice piece off the bench. And he's just completely blown out expectations. Um, he's pretty much gotten better at everything in his game. Um, you know, mostly I think his shooting has provided the most value for the Raptors on the offensive end. As I said, he's shooting pretty much 39% from three. And, you know, that's his main role on the offensive end. You know, he can roll a bit. Um, but, you know, his main function is as a spot-up shooter. And then when we're talking about his the defensive end, you know, his IQ has just gone so much better to a point where now he was already a great a great shot blocker, but obviously he needed to refine it um, and her, refine his, you know, where he was, not fouling, all of those good stuff. And he's been able to refine his IQ to a level now where he's able to serve as a, a important piece for the Raptors on both ends of the court. So Chris Boucher rounds out our six men of the year award candidates. Yeah, and you know, deservedly so. I mean, you, you y'all can argue all you want about a homer pick, but he's been fantastic this year, man. Like he's been the like you got to understand if you're not a Raptor fan, the Raptors have had one of the worst benches in the league, and the only reason they were even competent was because of Chris Boucher. Like Chris Boucher made that bench unit, you know, watchable. You know, when we have guys like Utah Watanabe, Stanley Johnson, uh, these are the guys coming off our bench. Um, well, Utah got better. Utah got Utah better. Got be- Utah got better, but again, it's not these aren't like like Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles type of players. Like, but Chris Boucher has established himself. Like, and like you said, he came from a bench warmer last year to now he's basically a key contributor. Like, I remember, I think he was maybe the third center in the Raptors depth depth chart at the beginning of the season behind Alex Len and Aaron Baines. That's yeah. what he was projected as. The fact that he overlapped both of them. And, like, completely buried Baines in the doghouse to the point where he's not even playing anymore despite the Raptors tanking. Well, I mean, shout out Ken Birch and Freddie Gillespie for that, too. They definitely contributed. They helped They helped with, the you know, burying Aaron Baines. 
uh, and making him non-existent as a Raptor. But Chris Boucher and his improvement has just been such a f- breath of fresh air for the Toronto Raptors this season. And like you said, he improved in pretty much every element of his game. And he can, you know, we don't know. He can still get better than, than what he's been able to do, you know. Obviously, he got hurt, uh, missed the last nine games. But again, he came back, he dropped 16 in his return. So Chris Boucher, shout out Chris Boucher. He's been fantastic this season, man. And, you know, would, he definitely deserves the recognition that he's getting for his play. But to basically pick a winner, Zeeshan already teased it. Our winner for the Sixth Man of the Year award is going to go to Jordan Clarkson. Uh, it was our one prediction this this year that we got right. We spot on. Just because, again, like, you know, we didn't predict the Jazz to be as good as they were. But we did know that Jordan Clarkson has really established a role and established a, uh, a good chemistry in Utah. And I think this season it shows, like, how great he's been for them and how much of an impact he's made. So... That was the Sixth Man of the Year award. Let's move on to the next award that we have is the Most Improved Player Award, which we you all know is probably the hardest award to predict. Our predictions for the award were uh, Zeeshan's guy, Christian Wood, uh, Colin Sexton from the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Markel Fultz. Uh, obviously, our winner was going to be Christian Wood. Uh, but, you know, our predictions were kind of all over the place. But the true candidate this year for the Most Improved Player Award is, first of all, Julius Randle. Julius Randle has been averaging about 23.9 points per game, 10.3 rebound, 5.9 assists per game, shooting 46% from the field and 41.3% from three. He's been having an amazing season on both ends of the floor. The biggest thing is the three-point shooting. It's just opened up his game, man. Like The fact of the matter is that this guy is hitting step-back threes over Kawhi Leonard in this league, and he's doing it with confidence, with comfort, with ease. This is the type of shooting jump that Julius Randle has taken, and it's been fantastic. It's really opened up his game, allowing him to not only be the score, better, a better scorer for his team, and, and you know a go-to option, but it, he's, it's made him a better facilitator. This guy's averaging six assists per game. You know, we always knew he had the ability to bring the ball up, handle it. You know, maybe you know you know pass it off here and there, but now you can see because he can shoot, because he's able to score at all three levels of the game. He's very hard to defend. Like even if you double him, he'll just find the open guy, and that's benefited players like R.J. Barrett, uh, Emmanuel Quickly. You know the guys who he's been he's been playing with this season have made the Knicks a pretty pretty decent team this year. And again, he's still a solid defensive player, and now he has the shooting to pair with his inside scoring ability. And I think overall, I mean, Julius Randle has always kind of shown flashes of being a, a good player, but now he's kind of put the pieces together. And has truly put together an all-star caliber season this year. Yeah, man, Julius Randle. Um, now, like we knew that he was already always a good player. It was just a matter of could he take that next level? Could he clean up some of the issues that he had? And this season, he's definitely done that. You know, as you talked about, the main thing is the shooting. His shooting has gone off the charts. For a guy that couldn't shoot last season to now shooting, as you said, step backs over anyone who tries to guard him um, at the three-point line, shooting over forty percent from three. That's just opened up his game a lot more. And then we always knew he was one of the better passing big men in the league. And now with his uh, ability to score at all three levels, that's just opened up his game a lot more to be able to pass the guys like R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Reggie Bullock, who have all benefited off of Julius Randle's gravity. One other point that I don't know if you mentioned or not was his ability to play defense this season under Tom Thibodeau. Julius Randle was always known as a negative defender, but this season he's been a pretty good defender, if we're being honest. Even the stats, you know, the stats, I think, inflate his 
value a little bit on the defensive end just because of the fact that New York Knicks overall have been great as a defensive team. But, you know, Julius Randle has been part of that top five defense in the league. And you have to give him some sort of credit for that. He's, you know, slimmed down. He's able to guard the paint now. He's able to switch out onto the perimeter. So he's been great on both ends of the court. And, you know, Julius Randle, for for the New York Knicks to be able to have a guy like him after so long, um, you know, has to be feel good for their fans. The next guy that we have on the MIP candidate list is Jeremy Grant. He's averaging 22.3 points a game, 40, shooting 42.9% from the field, um, 35% from three, and getting 1.1 blocks a game. Now, he's been arguably everyone's MIP prediction uh, from the beginning of the season. You know, since everyone realized, like, this guy really took that next step forward, he's kind of been that main guy for everyone's predictions. And, you know, we've talked about Jeremy Grant a lot, so I'm not just going to, I'm not going to rehash too much of what we've already said. But, you know, he bet on, bet on himself, shout out Fred Van Vliet, and he's been able to flourish as a legit first option for the Detroit Pistons. And now he has the potential, if he moves on to a different team whenever his contract's up or if the Pistons trade him for something, he has the potential to be a great second option for a very good team, um, which is, you know, you couldn't say, nobody could really say that that was his potential. Um, before, when he was playing for, you know, for example, the OKC Thunder or the Denver Nuggets, we always knew he would be like a good role player. But for him to take that next step forward in his development, be a fringe all-star, all-star caliber player, he's been great. You know, as I said, he's improved his ha- ball handling skills, which has allowed him to be able to flourish on the offensive end, you know, attack off the dribble, facilitate for other players. And then on the defensive end, he's been doing what he does. He was already a great defensive player, and he's just been able to carry this forward for the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I mean, again, Jeremy Grant is one of those guys we've talked about a lot throughout this season. And just, again, just the pure shock of just how he was able to bet on himself and took a chance and really just showed that, hey, I'm able to do this. You know, he's on a steal of a contract right now for the numbers and the production that he's putting up, man. And he's... uh. Again, like you said, if he eventually moves on from Detroit or Detroit decides to trade him, I mean, Detroit can cash in high on Jeremy Grant if they want to. Uh, but again, Jeremy Grant has been fantastic for them. He's really established himself that he could be a potential, you know, number two, number three option on a championship level team, which is what every team is looking at, looking at finding right now. Every contending team looking at finding that number two, maybe number number three guy that they can uh, pair with another superstar to, you know, put put them into contending status. So... Jeremy Grant had a fantastic season. Definitely deserves to be in the MIP conversation. But finally, we got to talk about you know a guy from our predictions, one of our one of our show favorites, Zeeshan's guy, Christian Wood. My guy, uh, Christian Wood's averaging twenty one points per game, nine point six rebounds, one point seven assists, shooting fifty one point four percent from the field and thirty seven point four percent from three, averaging also one point two blocks per game as well. Honestly, man, he's been the best signing Houston has made in this offseason. Man, he does a lot of things well on both ends of the floor. I mean, we've said it before. He's basically a poor man's Anthony Davis, the way he's able to play. Uh, you know, defensively, he's, he's, he's very solid. Offensively, you can just see how he's been able to open up his game. And he's shown how good he can be when given the opportunity. You know, again, he's been one of Houston's biggest bright spots in what has been a garbage season for them. Um, and again... The only thing that could have possibly slowed Christian Wood down this season has just been the injury and obviously the Rockets' lack of success. But again, overall, he's just been fantastic, man. He's basically what you want in in a modern-day big man. And, you know, shout-out to another guy who took a chance on himself, 
got worked his butt off, got himself a big contract and well, a decent sized contract, and uh, as a thousand times one of the best players in the league. Yeah, man, my guy Christian Wood. Um, I'm not gonna again talk about him too much because we've already said a lot about him. But Christian Wood, to your point, is pretty much like a lesser version of Anthony Davis in terms of his play style, everything that he can do. You know, we talk about Anthony Davis um, being able to do pretty much everything on the court. Christian Wood can do everything on the court. You know, on the defensive end, he can protect the rim. He can switch out to perimeter. On the offensive end, he can score at all three levels. He can get in the post and do hook shots. He can shoot from three. Um, probably, a, I would say, a better three-point shooter than AD, honestly. Um but, you know, Christian Wood is one of the best, I guess, um, lower-valued players in the NBA. And he's pretty much a, I guess, fringe all-star. So, for Houston, they made a, they had a great signing, signing him to that pretty much bargain of a contract. And it's paid dividends for them. And, you know, Christian Wood himself, to your point, he bet on himself. And he's done great things for Houston. And hopefully, he can continue that going forward. And that brings us to our MIP award winner. And... This might be surprising to some just because of uh, Hani's hatred to the New York Knicks. But, again, we speak facts on the show, right? And if we're being real, Julius Randle's just been insane. And that's who we're going to have um, as our MIP award winner. Julius Randle, to take the leap that he has into a bona fide all-star player, at least this season, has allowed him to, you know, get that MIP award, especially over guys like Jeremy Grant, who kind of cooled down as the season went along. Christian Wood, as we said, if it wasn't for the injury, maybe he would have gone the MIP award. But Julius Randle has led his team into a top spot in the Eastern Conference. And he's been amazing. Listen, I I hate the team. I can't hate the player. And again, the player has just been fantastic. Uh, this year, and again, I wasn't a, I was a skeptic. I said it a couple of episodes ago. I was a skeptic on Julius Randle uh, during the during most of the regular season until I was able to see it for the most part in my own eyes. And for him doing it all year, I became a believer that this guy's been doing well. Now, again, can he keep this going for more seasons? We got to see that still to cr- officially crown him. But I think this season overall, you got to give the guy his credit, man. He's done fantastic work. Yeah, he deserves the MIP award. For sure. And that moves us on to our Defensive Player of the Year award. Now, this is definitely one of the more trickier awards to to see or to, to you know, assess just because of the fact that the stats aren't there, right? You don't have as many stats for the defensive end. But in terms of our preseason predictions for who would win the award, we I think our list was honestly pretty solid. We had Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, and Bam Adebayo. Um, now, obviously, Anthony Davis missed a lot of time, and since he's come back, he's kind of been up and down. So, you know, that pretty much messed up our prediction. We had actually Anthony Davis winning it. So, again, that kind of messed up our prediction. But the two other guys we actually have on this list as well, starting off with Rudy Gobert, averaging 14.3 points a game, 13.3 rebounds, shooting 67.5% from the field, and averaging 2.7 blocks a game. Now, simply put, Rudy Gobert's been a defensive monster. Um... We thought he was good before. He's been, I think, the best by far. This is by far his best season on both ends of the court um, in his career. You know, I'll name out some some stats for you guys. Top five in defensive win shares. Best defensive on-off number. Um, top two in rebounds. Um, he's the league leader in blocks. And he's held, you know, he's been able to hold his opponents to the lowest field goal percentage of any eligible players. Or at least any players on the defensive player of the year candidate list so Rudy Gobert has just been a defensive monster and you know 
I don't know if you guys have seen that highlight of, you know, when the Spurs were on a fast break and it was like a three on three on two fast break or something. And, um, you know, for example, the, the Spurs couldn't even didn't even want to take a layup when Rudy Gobert was there on the fast break just because of the fact that he was there and they had to kick out the ball. I mean, they scored eventually, but that just that highlight right there. If you guys know what I'm talking about, if you guys have seen that highlight, epitomizes Rudy Gobert's impact. You know, he's probably he might be the most hated player in the league, but you can't deny the impact that he has, or you can't deny if you're a true basketball fan. You know, casuals will make fun of him or whatever, but Rudy Gobert, if you're a true basketball fan, you recognize the impact that he has. You recognize how good he has he is, and he's been the best player on the Utah Jazz this season. Um, the only question for his defensive player of the year candidacy is the fact that, you know, due to voter fatigue, which we've seen, will he get the defensive player of the year award again? Now, the last person we saw to win it three times in a row was Dwight Howard. But, you know, if you watch Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard's prime was just different. He was a monster, man. Rudy Gobert is not as good as Dwight Howard, obviously. But in terms of his defensive impact, he's definitely one of the greatest defenders of all time. So the only question is whether or not voters will feel like giving it to him again. Yeah, again, Rudy Gobert, um, although his numbers aren't really eye-popping. I mean, you got to look at, I mean, besides the blocks per game, you know, to warrant him getting that $200 million contract that uh, everyone, that Shaq and everyone, a lot of, you know, old heads are being critical of. You can't deny his impact on the defensive end especially has just been fantastic for the Utah Jazz. And case in point, take Rudy Gobert away from the Utah Jazz. Are they a top three, top five defensive team? Nope. Who knows? They might nope. like it's 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 kind of very apparent, you know, when you take Rudy Gobert away, just the impact that he makes on on a on a team. You know, just being able to deter shots, being able to stop teams from going even going for layups just because he's in the paint patrolling there. Uh, and again, you're not. It's hard to be top five in defensive win shares and have the best defensive on-off numbers. You know, th- that stuff is. Those stats are very hard to get, and the fact that he's able been able to get those is is pretty pretty impressive for himself. You know, all, you know. Obviously, again, Utah's had a great def- great defense this season, and I really think it comes back to your point that will the voters give it to him for a third time? Now, again, last year you think he didn't get it because Giannis won it, but. You know, again, a third, a three-time defensive player of the year award is would be pretty impressive for a guy in Rudy Gobert, um, especially to silence a lot of his haters. Uh, which brings us into the second candidate we have for the defensive player of the year award, and it is another guy who I who's on my hate list. Uh, we got to talk about Ben Simmons now. Ben Simmons is averaged fourteen points, three points per game, seven point three rebounds, six point nine assists, shooting fifty-five point seven percent from the field. Uh, averaging 1.6 steals and 0.6 blocks per game. Again, I have my criticism about Ben Simmons offensively, but defensively, there's still no denying he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, if not the best perimeter defender in the league. And there's a big reason why Philly has the second best defensive rating in the league. He has the ability to guard one through five, pretty much. You know, he's strong, athletic. You know, can he's quick. You know, really good with his hand. Has a really good IQ and you know where to position himself to. Uh, to be that to be a good defender, man. And honestly speaking, playing off the point that we mentioned about Rudy Gobert, he might have a chance to actually steal the Defensive Player of the Year award because of the fact the voters might be tired of voting for Gobert, uh, and that would really give an opportunity to a guy in Ben Simmons who, again, his offensive numbers are you know still iffy in my opinion. Still doesn't warrant an All Star appearance. That's just still me, but. 
Um, there's no denying his defensive impact is still there. And again, when you're the second best def- defensive team in the league, you should have a player, your best defender represents you, I believe, in this award. So Ben Simmons is definitely a good candidate. Yeah, man, Ben Simmons has been great on the defensive end. Um, and it's funny because of the fact that when he came out of college, people were questioning whether he would be a good defender in the league or not. And he's turned himself into this, which is why, again, don't overrate what players do before the NBA, before their NBA career, right? Ben Simmons himself admitted that he just wanted to leave college and he didn't care about playing any of their games. So, you know, it, it, it's a funny fact to see what Ben Simmons has turned into versus what the draft projections were. But, you know, to your point, Ben Simmons' ability to guard one through five, best perimeter defender in the league, in my opinion, um, he's just been all around dominant monster on the defensive end and that brings us to our final candidate for the defensive player of the year award and we have bam Adebayo. as i said we he was one of the three players we predicted to be in the running for this award he's averaging 18.9 points a game nine rebounds 5.3 assists shooting 57 point uh, 57 from the field averaging 1.2 steals and one block a game similar to ben simmons he is one of the most versatile defenders in the league by far He's just been his, doing his usual thing for the Miami Heat this season. Now, unfortunately, Miami hasn't had the best season this year. Again, a lot of that has to do with, you know, for example, COVID injuries. Pretty much every every team in the league has had to deal with that. But Bam Adebayo is just built off of his great season that he had last year. Um, you know, he's he's been doing his usual thing. Um, his ability to guard one through five, guard the perimeter, protect the paint. Again... Like, not really much to say about Ben Simmons. You, ju- I mean, sorry, not Ben Simmons, Bam Adebayo. You just got to watch him in games to see the level of impact that he has. And that's not even talking about his offensive impact, um, which, again, is not really relevant to this discussion. But in terms of defense, you know, similar, again, similar to Ben Simmons, one of the most versatile players of the league. Yeah, I think even last season, we really were, especially us, we were really big on Bam Adebayo being in the Defensive Player of the Year category. Uh, candidacy he I think he made all defensive second team last year so he was he's definitely been one of the most versatile defenders in the league just being able to guard multiple positions especially at the big man spot like you know he's this dude's scary in the sense of how athletic he is being able to go up and challenge and block shots man I remember I think was it I think what it was early on in the season man where the Raptors were playing playing Miami and just he just erased a Pascal Siakam layup like on a chase down and again Pascal Siakam's like 6'10 so and he's fast uh, the, too, and he's fast. Like again, like Bam Adebayo is a very, very good defender in the league. Pairing him with Jimmy Butler as well, again, dude. <laughs> there's a reason why Miami has a very good team, man. And those two are very, very scary as two-way players. But uh, yeah, Bam doing his doing his thing defensively, man. He's very similar to Ben Simmons. He has a chance to kind of take that award away from from Gobert if the voters are getting tired of voting for him. And I think he has a very good case in the, in the terms of. The way he plays, his versatility, and you know his overall impact that he makes defensively on his team. Uh, but with uh, all that said, our pick for the Defensive Player of the Year award is going to be Rudy Gobert, uh, just based on the fact that he's just been that defensive presence for the Utah Jazz, leading them to have the third best defense in the league. Um, you know he's been that 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 monster, that deterrent uh, in the paint for them. And again, his impact is just unquestionable at this point. And again, he he's definitely deserving to be a three-time Defensive Player of the Year award winner. So yeah, shout out Rudy Gobert, man. Definitely deserves this award. Which brings us finally to the biggest award in the NBA, the MVP, the Most Valuable Player Award. 
And honestly, man, this has been one of the weirdest MVP discussions I think we've ever had. You know, yeah. just based just based on the fact that there wasn't a clear cut number one guy, at least not no one who you would think would be one of those guys. I think injuries really played a part of that, especially when guys like Kevin Durant, James Harden, Steph Curry, LeBron, they were all playing this year. You know, and they weren't really in the discussion. So our predictions, obviously, for the MVP award were LeBron James, Luka Doncic, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, with we predicted Luka Doncic to be our MVP winner at the beginning of the season. But man, we were pretty wrong, except for maybe maybe one name, and that name, who is our first candidate for the MVP award, is Nikola Jokic. Jokic has been awesome this season, man. He's averaging twenty six point four points per game, ten point eight rebounds. And wait for 8.5 assists. And remember, he's a center. He's shooting 56.6% from the field, 40% from three. He's been one of the best players in the league all season. And that's the big the big key here. He's been there all season. He's been doing this all year. He hasn't slowed down. He's been carrying this injury-plagued Denver Nuggets team all year. And they still have the fourth seed in the Western Conference. Like We're talking about Jamal Murray got hurt. Uh, Will Barton got hurt. Uh, I'm missing other players, but Monty uh, Morris. Monty Morris, like they are decimated with injuries, and the fact that you know Jokic has been there carrying a load, being able to bring will them to, you know, to be the fourth seed. Actually, they were actually top three in the Western Conference for a good while until you know some injuries kind of derailed them. But they've been playing fantastic, man, and Jokic has been a big key contributor. He's honestly the best and most complete big in basketball. In terms of being a scorer, a facilitator, a rebounder, and a shooter, offensively, he's untouchable right now. Just as being that that big, that you he can do everything offensively that you want him to do. And even defensively, he's not terrible. He's not the greatest. He's still one of those slow-footed centers. But again, he's good enough in, De- in Denver's system that he doesn't hinder them on that side of the ball. But again, his impact offensively is, just, is undeniable. He's had the best season from start to finish because he didn't miss any games. And that's, again, Zishan talked about it. The best ability is availability, and Jokic has definitely had that this season. Yeah, man, that's pretty much his primary, I think, focal point over some of the other candidates that we're going to name is the fact that he's been there from start to finish. As you pointed out, he's dragged this Denver Denver team at time. Obviously, they started out slow in the beginning of the season, and then after that, you know, they hit their stride, and then injuries happened, right? Obviously, Jamal Murray is out for the season so Nikola Jokic has kind of had to carry that Denver Nuggets team at times and and to your point he is arguably the most complete big in basketball his ability to score at all three levels his ability to facilitate he's arguably already the greatest facilitator from the center spot of all time um, as I've said numerous times already and you know Nikola Jokic has just been amazing like overall amazing from again start to finish uh, of the regular season and that's what's made him so great and this is one of the reasons why we had him as one of our preseason predictions for this award just because of the fact that you know we saw that he could continue his success from the bubble last season and you know continue his success forward into this season in terms of just doing more of what he does uh what he does well so shot Nikola Jokic that's our first candidate our second candidate is Steph Curry um, Steph Curry is averaging 31.9 points a game, 5.7 assists, shooting 48.6% from the field and 42.6% from three. And he's also averaging 1.2 steals a game. 
Now, Steph Curry, I mean, he's been talked about to death in the past, like, two months. And rightfully so, because he is one of the greatest players of all time. And we're seeing it this season. Um, he's already broken multiple records. Uh, he's been a one-man flamethrower. Hitting, you know, he's hit 10 threes multiple times this season, which, again, nobody else has done in the history of the game. He's been, he's been hitting, like, 10 threes like it's nothing, you know. For a player to hit 10 threes is insane. For him to make it look normal just shows how great he is. You could honestly argue that Steph Curry is having the best season of his career because of the fact that, as I said multiple times, he's had to backpack his G League squad of a Warriors team, right? He's, like, it's been terrible, you know. We, I, I don't know if you watched the Raptors games, or the Raptors game where they faced the Warriors and they beat them down by like 50 points. Well, yeah, I was watching dude. the game and I was like, yo, the Warriors literally have a G League roster. It's insane. And for them to be in the eighth spot in the Western Conference because of solely pretty much Steph Curry, you know, other guys have contributed as well. Andrew Wiggins has been pretty good for them as well. But Steph Curry is the driving force behind this team. If they weren't, you know, we've seen all those stats um, online of, when Steph Curry's on the court, they are a top, you know, 15, top 10 team in the league. When he's off the court, they are the worst team in the league by far. And that just shows his impact. Um, and the final thing I got to say about him is that he's putting up a nearly 50, 40, 90 season while being pretty much triple teamed every single night. If that doesn't show you his greatness, I don't know what will, bro. Like, everyone who hates on Steph Curry, like, again, I've, I haven't been the biggest fan of Steph Curry previously. But this season, like, dude, I can't help but root for the guy just because of the fact that, like, everything, how how bad his team has been. And for him to do what he does on a nightly basis, especially when there was questions about whether, would he be able to carry a team on his own? He's putting up a LeBron type of season on his own pretty much. Yeah, I mean, again, if you're talking about people who have been critical of Steph Curry in the past, I've definitely been one of those people. Again, I've I've said it in the past. He's my if, if there's one my favorite point guard in the league is Damian Lillard, but there's no denying Steph Curry is my number is the number two. He is the greatest shooter of all time, uh, and this season he's definitely just more than proved that again. Uh, just again, multiple uh, multiple games hitting ten threes is insane. Like it's unheard of to do that. And the thing with Steph Curry is that I might not like the way he plays. But I gotta, I have to respect it in the sense that he does it well. Like I don't like the impact that it makes on the game as a whole. But when a guy can shoot like that, screw it. You got, you got to take those shots, man. If the guy is, you guys hitting bombs from forty feet because he can, he can do it. He does it on a consistent rate, and I think that's such a key with the way he plays the game. And I think, again, we talked about how bad the roster has been for for Golden State. Uh, and Steph Curry has been a been a big part of them uh, doing you know doing what he does, man, and just being able to put put together the points, being able to score. There were moments again, like the Raptors beat them by fifty six when Steph Curry wasn't playing. Like that's because again they're missing like thirty two points just there as well. Well, so, I mean, not to mention all the imp- the points that he, uh, all the other points that impacts right. Pretty much everyone off yeah. else on the team scores because of him. One more point, he's also, I would say, the greatest off-ball mover of all time that I've ever seen. Yeah, he's definitely one of those off-ball movers that, like, it's so, like, it's actually quite tricky to defend that because of the way, especially the way, I got to credit Steve Kerr a little bit in the way that Steve Kerr kind of positions the screens and being able to, and Steph is just really good at running through them. And, again, this guy guy runs a lot on, on the court to get himself open, man. But, uh 
yeah, man, Steph Curry's been having a great season. I mean, the Warriors haven't won uh, a lot this season, but Steph Curry's been fantastic this season as well. And finally, our last MVP candidate that we got to talk about is Joel Embiid of the Sixers. Joel Embiid's been averaging 29.2 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists, shooting 51.6% from the field, 37.6% from three, averaging a steal and 1.4 blocks per game. Embiid's had a very good bounce back year for the Sixers, man. After last year, having questions about his conditioning, his health, this year he came back and has really shown the how, why he's this interior monster we all knew he could be. He can score at all three levels of the game in the paint, mid-range, three-point line, and score. He's being one of the great he's being a great defensive anchor for the Sixers, man. We all knew how good he was defensively just being that 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 protect, paint protector. This season he's taken it to a whole nother level. Uh, he wants to be an all an all defensive team member. I think he there's moments where he wanted to be a, a DPOY as well. I mean, but, he was uh, pissed off after last season, right? Like, where they, uh, what did they give him on y'all all defense rules? I I don't remember, but you know, he was pissed off about a lot of things last season, and he definitely came into this season wanting to prove the fact that he is the best player in the league. Yeah, and you know, this thing, the biggest thing for Embiid, he finally looked healthy and in shape, which played a big role in allowing him to put up these numbers, allowing him to put up the season that he's been doing, and bring the consistency. That he hasn't done in previous years. We've all seen that he can do this in spurts. But him doing this consistently has been the biggest question mark with Joel Embiid. The only knock that we can put on him on this season has been the injury is still a concern. You know, he got hurt this year again. He still didn't play the whole season. But man, the numbers don't lie, man. He is behind Jokic. I think he's the second best big in basketball. If not the most dominating big in the, big in the game today. Yeah, man, Joel Embiid's had a great season. Um, as you pointed out, the main thing about him was just that driving force on a nightly basis that he, there was a different vibe about him in the sense that he just, he even said it, that he wants to dominate every single night, right? He he doesn't want to take out, he doesn't want to take any nights off. It was pretty much him or Jokic for MVP for pretty much the whole season. And then obviously, unfortunately, the same story happened with Joel Embiid. Um, which is his injuries. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's ever going to get better just because of his body type, just because of... The, he's also the, 27. Yeah, like, bro, he's he's a 7-foot-plus big man, right? Those those numbers are never great historically, okay? Let's just call it what it is, right? Yeah. So Joel Embiid has been great. And again, I think it's just his motivation, his demeanor has changed this season, which is why you just see his consistence, consistency on a nightly basis. Uh, whereas before in previous seasons, you didn't get the same, I think, effort and production from him every single night. Yeah, no, Joel Embiid's had a fantastic season, but if we had to pick our MVP for this season, uh, we got to give it to Nikola Jokic, man. Nikola Jokic has been fantastic. He has been the most consistent and best player in the league from start to finish, and he deserves this award. He's the first big man to win this award since Dirk Nowitzki won it a very long time ago at this point. 2006, if I remember. 2006. So he is the first big to win this award in a very, would to be a, if he wins the award to be, to win it in a very long time. Well, I mean, I guess and, if we're not considering Giannis a big. I don't consider Giannis a big. He's more of a wing. But again, we're talking about a guy, a true center to win this award. Shout out to shout out to the big man, man. They're, they're making a comeback, man. Like, especially when guys like Jokic leading the way, man. 
uh, definitely deserving of the award. But uh, yeah, those were our award picks for this season. Definitely let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree? Let us know either in the comment section on YouTube or on social media. Uh, finally, to end off this episode, it's been a bit of a long one, but bear with us. We've got a lot to cover. The first we got to start off with some somber news in the up and under segment. Uh, first off, Jalen Brown is out for the rest of the season with a torn wrist ligament. Honestly, kind of sucks for the Boston Celtics. I know we hate on them a lot. We clown them a lot. But this has not been a great year for them. Injuries and COVID has really hit this team very hard. And losing a guy who is honestly having a trajectory to be MIP this year as well. It, it sucks to lose a guy like that, man. It really Yeah, does. man. Especially, again, like we're Raptors fans. We hate the Celtics as much as anybody. Um, it's funny for it's funny to see them lose as much as they have this season. But again, in terms of Jalen Brown's injury, you know, first of all, none of us wish injury on any player, obviously, no. right? Um, but then to your point, you know, the season that Jalen Brown was having, especially when Jason Tatum was out with COVID, if you remember in the beginning of the season, Jalen Brown was forced to carry the load offensively, and he was doing that capably. He was dropping 30-plus, 40-plus points um, every night. And for him to have this season that he did and the way to end the 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 you know the way it's ended unfortunately has to suck for for Jalen Brown has to suck for the Boston Celtics and Celtics fans and which is why you've seen Celtics fans pretty much try to tell their team they want to tank at this point because honestly there's no point for them to do anything moving forward this season right because of the fact that they'll probably make the playing turn I mean they'll probably make the playoffs but beyond that there's not really much hope for them to do anything so they it's would tough. probably be better off um you know missing the playoffs where uh which brings us to our next point are you up or under on the raptors our toronto raptors being eliminated from playoff contention officially <laughs> i am hella up thank god the season is over thank god they didn't have we didn't have to suffer through the play-in which would have been terrible such like it would have been a nightmare man. i'm gonna play with my with my heart so much man like with this potential, like, oh, they can do it, they can do it. Oh, man. And then for them to get slapped in the first round. Like, I wasn't worried about the play-in. I knew that the Raptors got into the play-in. Man, holy shit, man. They would have they would have beat everybody and gotten into the got into that eighth spot. It was just about, like, did, do you really want to get beat in the first round? Like, really? Like, the only thing you would do is maybe give Philly some nightmares. Um, But we don't have Marcus All anymore, so I, I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, man, honestly, this is probably the best thing for the Toronto Raptors to kind of miss the playoffs rest, recover, regroup, plan their moves for the offseason, which, again, it's going to be a pretty busy offseason uh, for the Toronto Raptors, but this is probably the best-case scenario for them, and get a high draft pick as well. Yeah, exactly, man. Fate for K, bro. There's no point of them trying to make the playoffs, and especially in Tampa, bro, like, it's been... It's literally... If you want to talk about season for hell, from hell for any team, the Toronto Raptors epitomized the season from hell. Everything that could go wrong went wrong for them this season. They've been the most impacted team in the league by this whole situation. Again, 72 road games, right? So there's no, I don't think any real fan can blame them for everything that they struggled with this season. And, you know, finally it's over. Like, this is the most stress-free playoffs I'm ever going to have um, in, in a long time, right? Because of the fact yeah. that the Raptors won't be there. So, yeah. you know. Mark my words. I said, I wrote this on Twitter, actually. The Raptors will be back next year. They will Facts. be back in playoff contention. I mean, depend, obviously, depending on what they do in the offseason. But also, I, have, I have full faith in this team. Also, as long as they're playing at home and, you know, for that yeah. to happen, um, Doug Ford has to not screw us over. Shout out to all my Ontario 
<laughs> who, who know who know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, no, it's 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 rough up here in Canada. Uh, but moving on, are you up on on Russell Westbrook officially broke Oscar Robertson's all-time record for career triple doubles? Uh, it's a 47-year record. I Russell mean, I'm Westbrook up on him, bro. This is if you guys remember, people who watch at least people who watch basketball pre Russell Westbrook or pre these you know four years or whatever it's been of Russell Westbrook going crazy. Um, we all thought that the Oscar Robertson record would never break. You know, the the average of triple double in a season. And then, you know, the 181 triple doubles um, in his career. We never thought that would be a broken record. And for Russell Westbrook to do what he's done, especially, you know, where we thought averaging a triple double for a whole season was never going to be done again, for him to do that pretty much every single year for the past, what, three, four years, whatever it's been, and yeah. him to make it look like a regular thing. Um, it makes if you it look want, easy, man. Exactly. It makes it look easy. Whatever you want to say about Russell Westbrook, the impact on the game cannot be denied in the sense that now you have players on a nightly basis getting those triple doubles and Russell Westbrook for him to take unbreakable records and make them seem normal is pretty much the biggest compliment you could give him for the career that he's had. Yeah, he might not ever win a championship in his career, but if there's one thing that no one can take away from him is the fact that he can put up numbers and he will be he can do things that not many players can do. You know, not many players. It's really hard to get ten to not only score over ten points a game, to grab to get ten assists per game. That means you got to get ten of your teammates to hit your hit their damn shots and get them open looks. So Russell Westbrook generates those looks. Then he grabs ten over ten rebounds a game. There were nights where he was getting grabbing getting twenty assists, twenty rebounds as a guard. Again, it can be argued he's probably the he might be the greatest rebounder of all time at the guard spot. And also one more point about his triple doubles because people love to bring out. The, the point about, you know, inflated stats or whatever. The, the the fact of the matter is that when Russell Westbrook gets a triple-double, 70% of the time his team wins. So, you know, take that for what you will. It's a good correlation, I think. Yeah, Next up, sure. are you up or under on the New Orleans Pelicans VP, David Griffin, being fined $50,000 by the NBA? After he said that Zion Williamson's season-ending injury um, was due to the fact that he gets mauled in the paint on a nightly basis and the officials don't call it. So are you up or under on this whole Zion Williamson, David Griffin, NBA officials situation? Um, now, I've heard multiple opinions about this, uh, obviously. I'm up on the fact that David Griffin is sticking up for his players and actually you know, bringing notice to what happened to Zion Williamson. But I think that's kind of how the way things are played. You know, when you're such a dominating presence like Zion Williamson was, you're not going to get every single call. You know, you're not going to get every single... It's the same thing that happens to Shaq, the same thing that happened to LeBron. Like, you're not going to get every single call. And again, um, I don't know if, you know... I don't know that it's going to be any... It's not going to get better in his career. I think Zion's got to up his conditioning for that one to be able to absorb that, just like kind of like LeBron had to do that. But I think... David Griffin kind of kind of bringing light to it. It's kind of in light what you know, you know, Phil Jackson used to do that all the time for Shaq. You know, LeBron and you know, his coaches would always argue that again. A, a, a president or a coach to, to to say this isn't new, but again, again, the league has to do what they have to do. They have to protect the integrity of the game and uh, find. They had to find him for that one. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think every player feels that they're entitled to more calls than they get. That's number one. Second of all, again, to your point, I was going to bring up LeBron and Shaq, right? So LeBron-Shaq effect. 
you know, players who are that big are not going to get the calls just because of the fact that they're so dominating. They're and too they, big. They're too big, man. They they take such a toll on the opposing players that, you know, any little, any normal, for example, slap or foul that opposing players uh, hit them with just bounces off of them. And the officials, again, I'll give, you know, the benefit of the doubt to officials, man. It's a tough job to try to call, job. you know, call games for guys like LeBron, Shaq, uh, Zion Williamson. And, um, yeah, to your point, again, I'm up on it for David Griffin trying to stick up for his star players. That's what, you know, organizational staff should always do. Yeah, no, I think, again, we'll see what happens with that. But, again, it's kind of what he's supposed to do. Finally, uh, with the last two points that we got, I'll probably just lump them together because they're about coaches. Are you up or under on Mike Budenholzer uh, and uh, Blazers coach Terry Stotts apparently on the hot seat? They might be moved on from. In the case of Mike Budenholzer, he likely will need a conference finals appearance to probably keep his job. And the Blazers are basically expected to move on from Terry Stotts after the season. So are you up or under on these two coaches potentially losing their jobs at the end of the season? I mean, again, I'm never up on people losing their jobs. But in terms of the NBA um, and these situations... I mean, I would say I'm up on it. We've been critical of Mike Budenholzer in the past. He's gone better this season. But again, we've been critical of him. Um, we've said that he's on the hot seat and, you know, that he needs a good postseason um, this season if he wants to be able to retain his job. If he doesn't get that good postseason, it's very hard-pressed to, to, you know, for the Bucks to extend him or to bring him back. And again, similar to a Dwayne Casey-Nick Nurse situation, um, we'll see if that happens for the Milwaukee Bucks. In terms of the Portland Trailblazers, first of all, Blazers fans have wanted Terry Stotts fired for this whole season. And so I'll give them, you know, their their due because of the fact that they're the ones who watch the Blazers on a nightly basis. So they definitely know more about the Blazers than we know. Um, but Terry Stotts, again, he's been one of the longest tenured coaches in the league. Unfortunately, he doesn't really have anything to show for it. Now, again, he hasn't had the most aggressive front office or the greatest front office. But there's no denying that the Trailblazers should have been better in his tenure that than they were. For example, you know, the f- infamous um, New Orleans Pelicans series where the Pelicans blew them out in four games. That should have never happened, right? That that was one of the dark scenes on a guy like Terry Stotts. And, you know, he's one of the better coaches in the league. Nobody's denying that. He's one of the good, he's a good locker room guy. But again, sometimes you need to take that next step forward. Again, doing Casey Nick Nurse situation. You need to be able to see if you can find that next guy to get the team over the hump. I think this is just another situation in both of these guys' case. Yeah, and then another example, Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr kind of situation. So, yeah, I mean, again, I kind of agree with you. I think for, for Mike Budenholzer, it's kind of like it's he, you got to get at least to the conference finals or, or it's that's it, man. You got such a good roster. You, you got a championship-level roster. You have an MVP candidate in Giannis, a, like a two-time MVP, a defensive player of the year. Again, like you gotta get it done at some point, man. I know the Eastern Conference has gotten tougher, but a lot of their failures have been due to Mike Budenholzer and his inability to coach in the playoffs. And for the Blazers and Terry Stotts, man, sometimes the voice in the room just gets stale. He's been one of the longest tenured coaches, and sometimes again, just players start to tune out the voice, and uh, that might be the case with Portland this season. We'll see what they do in the playoffs. Obviously, it really depends on what these teams were able to do. But yeah, these two coaches are likely on their way out, out of the out of town. 
Uh, but with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, YouTube, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at up, letter N, under podcast, facebook.com slash up and under podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where we post blog posts about every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen to the full thing or watch the full thing, you can definitely read about it on our website. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so already. And uh, yeah, man, playoffs are here. Playoffs are pretty much here, man. And uh, looking forward to a stress-free playoffs, man. Finally, man, finally. Man. Yeah, so the, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you guys some coverage on the playoffs. Maybe give you guys a playoff bracket at some point soon. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We see you guys all in the next one. Take it easy. Easy. Thank <laughs> you.